Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recording. To the Batmobile. Are you watching Star Trek? We would be honored if you would join us. Please proceed with extreme caution. Now, Geek Universe, the weekly show on sci-fi and superheroes, fantasy and horror, and much more. Importing preferences and calibrating virtual environments. I bet my Wookiee. Are you insane? Here he is, the only talk show host who doesn't believe in the no-win scenario, your host for Geek Universe, Jim Yelton. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and children of all ages, welcome to Geek Universe Live. I am your host, Jim Yelton. How many of you guys have been to Geek Universe Live here at the Science Center before? One person. Thanks. That's what I was looking for. We are coming to you live on tape for those of you who are listening at home on broadcast. As if my guests here on either side of me were not any indication, we are talking Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's kind of a hard show to cosplay for. I mean, normally when we come to First Fridays, there's all these people in costume. I realized before the show, I was looking at myself in the mirror in the bathroom, that this is the first time that I've cosplay. I am cosplaying tonight as George Lucas's unsuccessful nephew. (laughs) I didn't realize that when I left the house today, but that's what I am. So Mystery Science Theater 3000, why do we like it? Because it's funny. It's very snarky. I love it because of its sarcastic sense of humor about movies. And it's the first show that made it okay to talk during a movie. Although, it's one of the reasons why nowadays, after all these years, I'm kind of mad at it because it's become really okay to talk in a movie. Which is fine if you're going to say something funny and snarky like they do on MST3K. But I was at Wonder Woman. And yeah, somebody just groaned in the back. Yeah, so how many of you guys have seen Wonder Woman? I don't want to spoil it for you. We've all seen, even if you haven't seen the movie, you've seen the trailer where there's the big World War One battle scene and she comes out of the trench and she takes off her coat and she's in full Wonder Woman awesomeness and she just goes and takes it to the Germans across no man's land. That's the part of the movie that this person decided to talk through very loudly. And it wasn't commenting so much as, oh, here it comes. Look, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. Oh, look. Oh, yeah, I'm probably talking too loud, aren't I? And of course, I had to say, yes, you are. I don't care. This is my girl, Wonder Woman. I've been waiting my whole life for this. This is not the movie you want to talk through. (laughs) But that's the great thing about MST3K is that they picked movies that it was okay to talk through because it was really bad movies. And we're going to talk about really bad movies, really funny people with our guest tonight. So let me take my spot. First of all, how many of you guys saw the uh, robot presentation earlier from Robert? That's why we have... Tom Servo and Crow T. Robot here. Uh, Our first guest is Robert Bukowski, who is responsible for these great robots that you see before you. I had my picture taken. We talked about this earlier. I got my picture taken with the guys at the photo op, not knowing that they were going to be here on the show. So now I get my picture taken again. But... I have to go find Gypsy, because Gypsy's here in the building someplace, and I need my picture taken. Gypsy is my favorite robot. We'll get all three back together for you. Awesome. Our next guest is Harold Buckles, and he is not only the executive producer, one of the executive producers of the show, and a writer on the reboot, but he is president of Joel Hodgson's... Alterniversal. It's, it's a tricky one. It was one of those... I had to practice a couple times, and I'm still not getting it right. That is Joel's production company, correct? Yes. So how did you get hooked up with Joel Hodgson? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I had 
been um, working at Archie Comics on the business side, um, and uh, we, my wife and I, were attending a Cinematic Titanic event, which contained basically was five people who had been in the original, uh, the original show, and uh, they were touring, and we were in uh, Newark, New Jersey, and we were dropping by, and my wife Diane said, "Why don't you bring your business card with you, and why don't you?" You know, if you're interested, mention that maybe we could work with them with Archie for doing a comic book version of Cinemac Titanic, and we handed them the card. And uh, lo and behold, Joel next day emailed me, and uh, we wound up having a long conversation about what what he would like to do with Mystery Science Theater. Actually, uh, again, this was back in like 2012, and out of that conversation, we, I mean, in, in a five-hour discussion we we covered everything all the way through the kickstarter and how we how we might do that to bring back the show so um it was really through archie and a business card that, that it all started for me because i've been a fan you know dating back to back when joel was doing the show now i know people who listen to the show on a regular basis know that uh every once in a while something will come up and i have the uncanny ability to somehow latch on to people and become fans of theirs before anybody else knows them. I, I, I remember being a fan of Bill Paxton before anybody knew who Bill Paxton was. I was a huge fan of Evil Dead and Sam Raimi before anybody knew who Sam Raimi was. And Joel Hodgson is one of those people because I remember being a kid in school, seeing Joel Hodgson do stand-up. Yeah. And even before, like, everybody can go, you can go online and look up YouTube, see Joel's appearance on the Young Comedian special on HBO back in the early 80s. And I remember seeing him even before that. Wow. And this, just this kid from Minnesota who was doing stand-up, and he was very soft-spoken then like he is now, and just had one of those very unique comic personas when he was doing stand-up. Yeah. And... That kind of translated. So when Mystery Science Theater started, obviously a lot of us didn't know it from its first run on local television in Minnesota, but a lot of us saw it when it was on the Comedy Channel. Right. And I remember going, oh, that's Joel. Like, I know who Joel is. I don't know what this show is, but he's making fun of bad movies. Did you guys know of Joel from his stand-up, or was Mystery Science Theater the first time you'd ever seen him? Oh, no, I, I had seen him. Uh, he was on SNL four times as a stand-up comic. He was on Letterman five times. He did the uh, HBO uh, Young Comedian special that he was on, and he was doing very well as a stand-up comic, and he had a funny act. It, it would be funny today if he was on stage still. A lot of prop-heavy comics. I was going to say, it, he, was, it, he was the definition of a prop comic. Yeah. And actually, some of his gags from his stand-up made it into at least the, the first two seasons of Mystery Science Theater on Comedy Central. The uh, head-cranking device he uses on season one, that was one of his bits from his stand-up uh, routines. And uh, the homemade uh, Halloween costumes, that's from his stand-up Oh, yeah, bit. I remember uh, the handbag that flame, uh, comes yeah, out flaming flame. handbag, Helen handbag. <laughs> that was from one of his bits. So uh, for skits during the first two seasons of the show, they, they filled it with a lot of things that Joel had already done in his stand-up routine. The one bit that I will never forget, and it's when you explain it to somebody, it loses all humor. Like, I can't explain it as far as the genius of the bit, but he did this bit where he had one of those kids' machines that you would use to, like, throw the football up in the air so you could go run and catch it. And he would put a deck of cards in it, and he would have somebody pick a card out of the deck, and then he would shuffle it, put the deck of cards in it. The thing would throw the deck all over the place. 
And he would walk around and then finally pick one up off the floor and say, is this your card? Totally deadpan and, and totally low-key Joel delivery. And of course, it was never their card. And right. then he would put it down and walk over and pick another one up and say, is this your card? <laughs> and he would do it like two or three times until the audience is just roaring with laughter because you don't know when he's going to stop. And it was just, right. that was what I loved well, about it. His punchline for that was pretty good. He would say, you'd get one last card. He'd say, is this your card? Well, that's the best I can do. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that would be the end of the end of the bit. And that's what I loved was the, that seemed to me to be the epitome of his humor was this is all I got. Like, I can't do any better than this. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but I, I can't do any better than this. And that seemed to be, especially in the early days of MST3K, kind of that same attitude of, you know, we're yeah. just going to put this show on. And if you like it, great. If you don't, then it's the best it's we not, can do. Yeah, it's the best we can do, and it's not your cup of tea. So it's not for everybody. It's like Joel's famous line: "The right people will get it." That, that he, you know, he wasn't going to try to appeal to everybody, but he he was he knew that there was an audience for for what he was doing. You're listening to Geek Universe. This week on the show, we're bringing you our live show that we just did just last week at the St. Louis Science Center for their August 1st Friday. We are talking Mystery Science Theater 3000 with writer, executive producer Harold Buckholtz and robot builder Bob Bukowski. We'll be back with more from the Science Center's Mystery Science Theater 3000 First Friday. We want to take time to remind you that if you want to stay on top of all of our live appearances and all the other stuff that's going on in and around the geek universe make sure to go to our facebook page at facebook.com slash geek universe show and you can stay on top of everything going on we have two more appearances coming up this year at the science center in st louis we are doing back to back to back first fridays september we will be there for dc versus marvel which is going to be amazing and then in october we are going to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the buffy the vampire slayer tv series if you heard our first friday event from last Last year, when we did Bring Back Firefly, you know of my love of Joss Whedon, and you know that the Buffy First Friday is going to be even more amazing. Stay tuned. We'll have more with Harold, Bob, and the crowd at the St. Louis Science Center. Coming up, you're listening to Geek Universe. Hello, everybody. This is Ming Chen from AMC's Comic Book Men. You're listening to my favorite show, Geek Universe. Hey, we just want to let you know that this week's show is brought to you by Soylent Green. You know, if you're hungry, there's nothing else that satisfies your craving better than Soylent Green. Remember what Charlton Heston said. Soylent Green is made out of people. That's right, Soylent Green. It's 100% green and 100% people. And coming soon, three new flavors. Soylent Red, Soylent Berry Burst Blue, and Diet Soylent with half the calories and half the people. You gotta tell them! Silent Green is people! T.L. Grey Hot. There's nothing hotter than Geek Universe. Once again, here's your host, Jim Yelton. Hey, welcome back to the show. We're going to jump right back to the St. Louis Science Center for more of our Geek Universe live show centered around Mystery Science Theater 3000 with our guests Harold and Bob. Did you guys both get in kind of on the ground floor of watching 
the show when it first started, or, or were you? When did you come into MST3K? It was uh, when it made the transition from local TV to cable. They were on the Comedy Channel, and they changed their name to Comedy Central eventually. But uh, I was already watching the Comedy Channel before Mystery Science Theater aired because they they would show a lot of retro, old, funny things, and they had some original programming. But they'd show like the uh, Jerry Anderson uh, Super Marionation stuff, like Supercar and Thunderbirds, and and Lancelot Link, and old shows like that. So I was already watching it, and then they started showing promos for Mystery Science Theater. Oh, this could be good, and uh, it was. It was awesome, and uh, it, it got me hooked right away. Yeah, and that again, it's such such a unique show, and that it came out of a UHF channel program in in Minneapolis. You just don't see that kind of rags to riches story of somebody. It's kind of like a cable access show in the day, somehow turning into a, a national syndicated program, and that that just didn't happen. And so there was a feel to it. I think from the very beginning, the people that loved it, that they knew this was something unique and special. It was a voice coming out of Minnesota when almost everything normally comes out of L.A. and New York or maybe Nashville. Um, Chicago used to have a little base of broadcasting, but Minneapolis that was unique and that voice really hadn't been heard that timber of Minnesota humor that had these wonderful stand-up scene at the time that was so special to to capture that in a, in a format that nobody had ever seen anything like it before and we'll talk about the reboot and kind of behind the scenes in a, a little bit but you of anybody in this room would understand the greatness of the show is equal to the fact that it was very inexpensive to produce in those early days because the set was next to nothing. You know, Mm -hmm. the, the effects were very cheap. The robots were very cheap and you had people that were willing to work cheaply because they loved and and had passion for what they were producing. So from a network standpoint, it's a no brainer to keep the show on the air because it's costing us next to nothing to produce. Yeah. It was a perfect type of show. And I mean, even for the UHF channel, I mean, someone, when Joel had the opportunity to do this with Jim Allen and Kevin Murphy uh, when they were at KTMA, this uh, the lowest rated UHF's channel in, in Minneapolis, and they, it was just, just about to go bankrupt. And so it was just kind of biding its time. And the people there were like, you know, here's the set, have at it. There was almost no budget. And Joel was working with the library that already was in the KTMA rotation, so he was using movies that had already been paid for. So all they had to do was cover the cost of their cheap sets, and I think they said, what was it, Trace was making some $20, an hour per show. Oh, wow. uh, so all these really talented people, they were just kind of, hey, let's put on a show. Let's do something different, something special. And uh, then when that translated over to comedy, yeah, you know, in, onto the national level, that was perfect for, for Comedy Central because, yeah, it was inexpensive programming. They could replicate it multiple times, and people were, were sparking to it. Bob, when it changed from Comedy Central to the Sci-Fi Channel, did you have a sense of anything changing with the show itself? As a fan watching it at home, did you... I know there was a part of me that thought, well, is it going to be the same show? And in a way it was, but, I mean, did you have a sense of it being a different kind of show when it changed networks? A little bit. They, they decided to go with a theme for all the host segments where they were traveling through space meeting different aliens and that was kind of an interesting thing for them to explore but deep down after you first saw the first couple episodes you said oh thank god the riffing's the same they're doing the same type of riffing that's still funny that's good and the host segments i can live with whatever they do you know it really didn't matter too much but it was fun that they did some interesting things you know the planet of the apes and then they went to the brain guy planet and then they went to roman times and all that kind of stuff and it was kind of nice to get different characters 
characters infused into the show that they could uh, make fun of and have fun with instead of being you know, totally stationary the whole time? One of the smart things that I think is when Joel decided that he wanted to step away and not be on air and be a part of the show anymore, that they went with Mike Nelson, who yeah. had been on the show but writing as part of the writing staff for a while and knew the show. So it wasn't like they stepped outside of the show's core to go find somebody yeah. and bring them in who didn't maybe have the same sensibility. And Joel Mike has, got yeah. the show. And, and Joel has said that he part of, I think, the fun of him creating the show is that, again, this was a team effort. Initially, this was being done for absolutely no budget. Everyone's chipping in where they can help Trace's building sets and, you know, working on a, on a puppet that he's going to be dealing with. And then he's also playing, you know, two characters characters and Joel his his thing I think he, he said something like riffing is too important to be left to the professionals so the idea was if you have people in the office and they can walk into the room where you are he said there was I think it was a guy who worked in the props department he said uh, he would come in he was working really hard if you've you know, seen the show the sketches have lots of invention in them um, because you know Joel brought that from his prop comedy background into the show and so there's every week that you've got a prop guy having to come up with these crazy Ventures these ideas and, and make them work. Um, but he would, this guy would come in, and I, I apologize, I forget. Jeff, Jeff Maynard. Jeff Maynard, yeah. and Jeff Maynard would come in and, and sit down for you know he's he's just been working in the shop. He's been busy, and he sits down in on the sofa with the rest of the guys watching the show and uh, silent. And uh, then he'd come up with this amazing zinger that they was all burst into laughter. He'd get up and leave, <laughs> you know, go back to work. And that's what Joel loved about the show was that there are all these different creative voices were coming together, and riffing was something you you could do in these kind of bite sized chunks. And so. He very much liked the idea that everyone was pitching in. It's, it's a very uh, kind of anti-Hollywood model where, by necessity, you, you got systems where you know you got somebody who's a very specific role, and they have to take on that role when they when you when you shoot something, and and you don't step into the other guy's role. You don't unplug that <laughs> that device that 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 this uh, this person who's dealing with the electrical equipment is, is dealing with. You have to let him do it, you know, because everything is very codified. And but in Minneapolis, they they had a, a lot more freedom to just everybody pitches in all hands on deck and, and Joel loves that he thinks that gives a richness to the project because you have multiple voices coming coming at this you know in this case a common film um, and I think that's one of the richness richnesses of the show is that so many different voices are being melded together and they're unique voices they're not the type of typical voices you're going to hear coming out of at New York or LA one of the things that I love about the show is you know we talked at the beginning that it made it okay to talk during a movie, which I've had lots of people yell at me over the years, you know, sitting at home in a living room, you know, making fun of different movies, telling me, hey, I'm trying to watch the movie. Shut up. Did you feel like they were almost speaking for the rest of us? Like, it, it you, you have this feel as you're watching it that not only do they seem to have a quicker wit than the rest of us because they get the, the line out before we even have a chance to think it, but they're ultimately saying the exact thing that we're thinking about this movie that we're watching. And you know, that's one of the pl guilty pleasures of watching it is that we all agree these movies suck and here's why they suck. Yeah, even if you're watching it and you don't articulate the thought you had about why this is bad, when they do it for you, it's uh, it's, it's a real treat because it, it does feel like they were right inside your head and go, yeah, why are there tire tracks in ancient Rome? You know, and things like that. It's like, why, why is yeah. he wearing a Rolex? Yeah, and it's, it, you saw it and you recognized it, but because they, they made uh, a nice funny comment about it, it it, uh, it makes it that much richer. But the, the, one, the things that that were awesome about the riffs you know they'd have five 
five to 600 riffs per episode is the really, really obscure ones that you know. You, there's a lot of ones you don't know. Right. But the ones that you know, and you know who Harold Pinter is, and you go, oh, my God, I can't believe they just said that. <laughs> and it's hilarious to you and everybody next to you doesn't yeah. get it. It makes it, you a fan for life. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is for me. They, they wrote this, this just special. for me. They knew I knew who he was. You're listening to our Geek Universe live show that we did recently at the St. Louis Science Center talking to Harold Buchholz and Bob Bukowski from the rebooted Mystery Science Theater 3000. We'll have more with Harold and Bob. Stay tuned. You're listening to Geek Universe. This is John Jackson Miller, author of Star Wars and Star Trek novels, and you're listening to Geek Universe with Jim Yelton. Now, back to Geek Universe. It may well possess a rudimentary intelligence. Once again, here's your host, Jim Yelton. Thanks for listening to Geek Universe. This weekend, we're bringing you our live show that we did at the St. Louis Science Center. It was another first Friday at the Science Center, and it was a themed event around Mystery Science Theater 3000. And let's get back to the conversation as we talk to our guests, Harold Buchholz and Bob Bukowski, about the new version of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Is everybody here aware of the fact that Kickstarter was the big reason why we got Mystery Science Theater back? Yeah. This was something that was not around 17, 18 years ago when the show ended. Having talked to Joel and getting involved with this, what was the impetus for him to say, it's been long enough, I want to do more of this? I mean, obviously, we talked earlier between Cinematic Titanic and Rift Tracks and some of the other stuff that's been going on. People that worked on this show have been doing basically Mystery Science Theater in some sort of live version and touring around the country. So we just haven't had the show, but we've had different versions of it with different combinations of people. What made Joel decide that now was the time to do the show again? My impression was that when he left the the show, he he did go on obviously to to do other other work, and I think what he discovered over time was that it was serendipity that so much of who he was he packed into this one idea. His background, even he was a as a performer, as a he was a young performer. I mean, he was in in his hometown uh, in Wisconsin. He was going around to birthday parties. He was dressing up as a clown. He was he had the the little you know the little Danny O'Day uh, ventriloquist. Uh, Outfit. He was doing ma- he was doing magic tricks, um, and he was always inventing new ideas uh, and novelty concepts, and that certainly translated into his stand-up, which was very prop-heavy in, in the comedy. And then he had this love of of, uh, of these old independent movies, and so when he had been given this like, when he was given this chance with KTMA to try something, he somehow managed to get so many aspects of his personality in this in this show, including the, the bot. He was doing bot design. I'm sure you know the history of that, that he was doing found object. I think he had seen some a documentary on people that were doing found found uh, recreations of using found artifacts. And he he had all of these pieces coming together in this show that was being done very quickly and kind of in a slapdash way. But it, it's so much Joel that I think when he was looking back and saying, this is my legacy. This show is my legacy. I don't know if there's going to be any single concept that's going to so represent who I am and all the things that I love. And he felt he wasn't done. He was not done with Mystery Science Theater when he had left it halfway through its run. And he said, I would like another chance at it because I, I, I feel that there's there's more I can do with it. And it was very much from the 
heart and very much a sense that that he, he believed in the riffing kind of even the riffing the joke ideas he's, he's he said that this is something that i you know I, i've introduced to the world and it's so resilient and you mix it in with all the unique elements of mystery science theater which many of them are joel there's obviously so many creative people that worked on this and added their touches to it but so many of the core concepts came from him he's like I would like to rebuild this in a way that maybe it will live on another 17, 25 years. And that's why he wanted to have a fresh cast performing kind of around the age maybe he and the other performers were as to say, let's let's reintroduce this. Where, where should Mystery Science Theater be in 20, 2017? And that was really important for him to revisit it and finish off I think he never stopped he never stopped thinking about mystery science theater it was something always in the back of his mind and if you know anything about Joel he's famous for having these journals these art journals that uh, he would keep and he would fill them and then he would number them and I don't know what number he's up to but he's been through dozens and dozens of these journals over the years and this is what you know, his ideas can just continue to flow and he said I this is the channel through which I can be the most creative and it seemed like this was absolutely the time to try to do it because like what you said with crowdfunding this is now possible for Joel to to appeal essentially to the fan base and say if you back my vision of bringing the show back as the creator if you'll trust me to bring this back in a way that's the same but different based on the same creator if you'll trust me with that I will do my best to give you the greatest mystery science theater I can give you and what I liked about the Kickstarter campaign was that it started off with here's our goal we want to do X number of shows if you give us more than that, we'll do more shows. It's not like, you know, some other Kickstarters where it's like, okay, the stretch goal is going to be, we'll give you a new t-shirt or we'll give you a poster or we'll give you a prize package. It was the more money we raise, the more of this we'll give you to the point where we got what 14 episodes in, in the new run. And it was funny because I kept track of the Kickstarter it was as it was going on. And I'm like, okay, come on guys. We need just a hundred thousand dollars more. We can get one more episode of this. I don't know how much more we're going to get so we have to get it all now i'm glad to hear you say that he was keenly aware of wanting to go younger with the cast because yeah. that explains why i didn't get a phone call um <laughs> I was wondering why Jonah got cast, and now I know. I assume, Bob, that that also went with the robot. So how did you get involved? At what point in the process did you step on board to start working on new robots, even though the characters were the same? They're not exactly the same robots that we remember from the original run. Yeah, they're they're a little bit different. Um, I got involved when Joel contacted me about four years ago, and I don't know, maybe the show was on his consciousness then, but he was doing a lot of convention appearances and things like that and he wanted a set of robots uh, for himself to travel with and then he kept asking for sets of robots and okay whatever and they were doing turkey day marathons so i gave him robots for those uh, that they could do the turkey day marathons and i think he was trying to feel out the atmosphere of what was going on to see if the show was ready for that and when it finally was uh, he got in touch with me again said we're doing some shows but i want the bots to be the same but different and he had a lot of notes uh, from the old show that uh, especially on crow when they made these they just kind of left pieces the way they were like the arms for crow are made out of lamp arms and they just slapped them on and left them the length that those lamp arms were so they would always beat against the desk and make noise and stuff like that he said like the arms to be shorter the hands a little bigger beef him up a little bit and that's how crow ended up with his final appearance you know i beefed out the arms joel really liked that and i liked it too it, it's natural it's organic to crow to make his arms just it looks like he's been working out yeah <laughs> that's yeah. what yeah, I mean, aren't, that, these, aren't these phenomenal? I mean, this is amazing what Bob has done. He's he's really 
Um, He's cap- captured the, the original characters and, and taken it to a new place. It is. I mean, it's very... It, what was cool about it when I saw them up close was that, that it's exactly what you said, Harold, that they're clearly the same robots, but they look better. And I know that part of that is that the money was a little bit better for this run of shows. They, You, you had a, a little bit... <laughs> just a, a hair bit. Not a, not a ton. Uh, but, but you also... You know, like you said, Joel wanted them to have a different sort of look to it as well. I know one of the things, because you did a presentation earlier this evening here at the Science Center, and you talked about the fact that for the new shows, they changed Gypsy. And that was immediately the first time Gypsy came on screen. I was like, wow, that's cool. They've got Gypsy coming in from the ceiling now instead of being on the floor. Was that a technical change or was that more of just to change up the visual of it? No, that was a technical change because Joel had said that the reason Gypsy wasn't on the old show more is because she was so big and gangly and they... You could only fit so many people underneath a desk and do puppets. So you'd have to have a mile-wide desk or uh, you have to figure out a different way for Gypsy. And once he thought of that, it freed up a lot more space for Gypsy so she can be in all the episodes without taking up a lot of room. But the main thing he had wanted for all the bots was he wanted all of them to be more mobile and a little bit more articulate. They don't have to be, you know, perfect animatronic or anything like that, but he wanted them to be more mobile. And that's why they move around in the theater during the movie segments and during the host segments, the arms move quite a bit more. We fix servo so his arms don't just sit there and dangle on springs. He can actually move his arms. They swivel now. And that's about the only big change for servo. And, and he, he got can a better fly. Ho- he got a better hover skirt. You can't see underneath there, but he's got, <laughs> he's got hover skirt jets underneath his uh, hover skirt there to fly around with. Stay tuned. We're going to wrap things up with Harold and Bob from our recent live show at the St. Louis Science Center talking about Mystery Science Theater 3000. When we come back, it's going to be audience question and answer time with Harold and Bob. So stay tuned. More Geek Universe is coming your way. Hey, this is Paul Shear from The League, and you are listening to Geek Universe. Never stop listening. Hey, gang. If you're sitting in your car or at home or at work or any other place that you listen to Geek Universe every weekend and you're enjoying the show, go support us on Patreon. There's a lot of cool rewards that are show-specific, like our t-shirts and our coffee mugs, and we've got the treasure chest of awesome goodness that you can get, full of geeky stuff like books and collectibles and games and toys and all sorts of cool stuff that will make you feel like a kid getting a Happy Meal again, except this time it's even better. There's better stuff in it. You can even have a chance to be a convention correspondent and show producer at some of the higher levels where we're going to send you to Comic-Con or New York Comic-Con or C2E2 in Chicago. There's lots of cool stuff. There's some stretch goals that we've got where we will be bringing you some really cool Patreon-exclusive programs like me re-watching all of the episodes of old shows, movies. We will have more guests joining us for those. A lot of fun stuff that we have on deck for those of you who go to Patreon and support the show. Go to patreon.com forward slash geek universe show. Check out the reward tiers. Pick one that's right for you and make sure that we can continue to bring you geek universe each and every week on this very radio station. And it's the best way to let us know that you're enjoying the show If you think the Kobayashi Maru isn't a Japanese steakhouse, you're in the right place. Geek Universe with your host, Jim Yelton.
We're going to close things out. We've got about 10 minutes left in the show with uh, Q&A. If anybody's got any questions in the audience, raise your hand. Make them good. We're talking about bad movies, but we want good questions. All right. I know Paul's got the microphone over there. Were there any movies that were kind of like white whales? You just couldn't quite get permission to use them? Usually, in most cases, there are films that we're look, we're going from a library. We, we kind of know what's available to us before we get too, too attached to them. But there are some films I know that Joel would probably like to do if if he could get the rights he's always he's always looking at it I, I was just mentioning at the trivia event that one unique thing about this season is that we had access to a library we had never had access to before as a, as a, as a show we, we never went to the major distributors to get films and um, because of relationships at Shout Factory our, our wonderful partner who was, was doing the DVD collections and kind of keeping the spirit of the show alive for, for all these years they're experts in, in making these, these deals and Joel said I would love to get access to the MGM library because they have a number of movies uh, that are perfect for the show. And he wanted widescreen, he wanted color. He said, you know, the TV sets that we had when the, the first series was out are so different than the ones today. We have to live up to that. I don't want to turn people away from watching the show because they can't stand watching a, a scratchy black and white print of something that's in a three by four by three ratio. I want to not have that as a barrier. I want to have films that we hadn't been able to touch before. And so eight of the 14 movies are from this MGM library. They're, they're just as bad in their own way. And they're and often they're very obscure still. I think the most famous of the movies in terms of IMDb votes for this season before we we stepped in uh, were the Doug McClure movies. There's a, a Land Before Time film and there's a At the Earth's Core. Those were pretty decent releases. I just right saw the At yeah. the Earth's Core playing on regular retro TV right, without the right. riffing about six months ago. So yeah, yeah so those were popular movies, semi-legitimate release movies, and so that was wonderful because he got access to films that he he didn't have access to before, but there are absolutely films in other libraries that he's got his eye on. He's like, well, who owns this one? You know, can we, can we possibly get this one? And often you can't. It's just, it's just not where it's not in our space to be able to to do it with the resources we have. You brought up a good point about viewing these episodes, these newer episodes, differently because technology and and just the way that we watch TV is different. The way that we got these episodes was different too because they were streaming on Netflix, so you didn't have them broadcast on a cable channel once a week. We got them all, and we could binge Mystery Science Theater if we wanted to. How many of you guys, when they came out, binged? all of the episodes back to back to back as much as you could. Oh, good. You, not, not all of you were crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Have you gotten feedback from anybody as far as the fact that well, this, this we is, had instant access to all of these at the same time? This is the interesting thing. This is the Netflix model. They, you know, they are a monthly subscription, and they have their own metrics for what is successful for them as a show. And they have, if you can imagine this, I mean, no network has ever had the level of access that Netflix has to viewership because they're streaming it out of their servers. They know when you pause it. They know when you stopped watching. They know if you skipped a show. They know that you did it two days later they know exactly how many people have watched each of these films and you know one thing that i that we we have learned that, that is is not typical i think for us it was 17 years before we had new episodes and then we had 14 all at once and i think the natural tendency is either i'm starving i have to see them all or i'm going to savor this because it's been so long and i think a lot of people have chosen the savor model for us just to tell you, I'm not going to tell you, force you to watch a ton of a uh, ton of our shows all at once. But for the for as far as Netflix is concerned, they're looking to see that we're watching 
these as a binge-watching thing. That's their thing. So it's in our interests for you to watch them all sooner rather than later because that to them, that that's a measure of success. We totally understand why some people are, are, are doing the saver model, but uh, you know, if, if you'd like more episodes on Netflix, the thing to do is to, uh, is to watch, watch them now because that, that will help them make their decision as to how many or if they want to do more. Netflix yeah, episodes. or just turn it on and walk away. Because <laughs> it, it will start the next episode for you, so that's fine that's true, too. Yeah. So yeah, you guys all have your homework now. It's a weekend. <laughs> what, do you, what else are you doing? <laughs> Go watch all of the episodes. If you've already watched them, watch them again. I think we've got another question over here. You might be the last question. Is this a good question? I think so. Okay. Well, <laughs> thanks for coming. Not that the old versions of the show weren't musical, but it seems like this new version is a little bit more musical, especially in the first episode with that amazing song about every nation having a monster. Is that something like because of Jonah and Jonah's very musical, or was it a discussion even, or was it just kind of natural? I think it was it was fairly natural. I think we had access to some wonderfully talented uh, musical people on this show. Paul and Storm, they wrote uh, Every Country Has a Monster, and they're just really sharp writers that they, they can pack so much into a, a song. And we were working with head writer uh, Elliot Kalin, who'd been working on the, the Daily Show prior, and he, you know he and Joel would often work together to kind of craft a concept for a sketch and then get Paul and Storm involved. And we also had, amazingly, access to um, uh, Bobby Lopez, who wrote Frozen, uh, the music for the Disney film Frozen, and then I think Avenue Q. He's just done a tremendous amount of creative work and, and he you know he wrote a song for us in fact at, at the beginning of uh, at the earth's core he was he was also a writer when i think he did one episode as a writer not just a songwriter and he was listening to the music at the beginning of at the earth's core and it's this really rollicking da 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 and bobby's like is it okay if i write lyrics for them to sing along to here he's like yes please please so we just had so much talent and so many talented people and very musical people that we had to take advantage of that because it it's just naturally always been a part of the show, but I think I mean, you might be right. It might be a little more concentrated. There, there's so many songs that fans of the show remember from the old one. And of course, we have the skeleton crew performing, you know, updated versions of some of those in the bumpers in between. So there's a there is a, a lot of music, and that whole idea there was that Kinga is trying to basically make a, a little TV show network kind of Merv Griffin type of have a have her own live band uh, trying to blow up. She's saying I want to blow up Mystery Science Theater and sell it to Disney for a billion dollars, which I thought was genius because it's still a allows you to have breaks in the show, which you couldn't have on a Netflix show because you don't have commercials. But I, I thought that was a genius idea. Yeah, Joel was Joel wanted to try that. He said, I, I want I want the rhythm of the show to be similar. And uh, it, was, it was a really interesting experiment. So we've only got a minute or two left. So I'm going to take the final question for myself and ask probably what we all came here to find out. When's the next season? We're uh, we're waiting. We're hoping to hoping to hear. We're hopeful that things is, are going to go well. And... Is it going to be something where because you've got the Netflix deal now, there's there's a, a little bit more security if you decide to go forward with another season because you have a relationship with Netflix, or do you think that you guys would still go the Kickstarter route to finance it and then figure out a distribution later? I think the whole way uh, Joel and, and Ivan Asquith, who's this amazing guy behind the Kickstarter process who, who knows fan communities and really was trying to serve the fan communities as well as he could in helping bring this back, what we were trying to do with the Kickstarter was, was say, if you support us, we're using this to tell uh, the other powers that be that have the distribution models that there is an audience for this. And you did that in spades. You broke a record. And thank you for that to show how much, how beloved this show is. But what 
what's come of it is, you know, the idea was let's show the executives that we do this and let's l allow the creators to have the, the voice because you funded it. We don't have to answer to, to the layers that you normally do in programming of people that are going to have a say. And you know, Netflix has been amazing with us and, you know, they, they, they were very supportive all the way through the production after we, they agreed to be the ones to come on. But where we're going to wind up, you know, hopefully at the end of the day is that, you know, someone like Netflix will be able to continue that and make that available at an affordable way for everybody. Certainly, if for whatever reason that, you know, we didn't have that path again, we know the fans have been so supportive and hopefully they've enjoyed the new season and would be back again if, if that's what it took. But the idea was to kind of prove our way into back into the world and, and do it in, with an authentic voice. And that's, I think Joel feels like he, he landed that. Everybody, give a big round of applause to our guests. Robert Pukowski. Thank you. Carol Buckles. Thank you. You've been listening to another exciting episode of Geek Universe with Jimmy Elton. Find out more about every corner of the Geek Universe including previous episodes, dates for our live appearances, and theme merchandise including Trivia Thunderdome t-shirts from Jim's book, The Swindlers of Doom, at GeekUniverseShow.com. You can also find Geek Universe with Jimmy Elton at facebook.com slash 30 Minutes of Geek or on Twitter using the Twitter handle at 30 Minutes of Geek. Geek Universe with Jimmy Elton is a production of Midnight Entertainment LLC. This episode is copyright 2017. All rights reserved. Well, kids, that's all you get. That's it! Read a book!